As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Do you struggle with the technical aspects of our sport, making your car more consistent, tuning for performance and predictability. If so, you're not alone. My friend Kevin Brannon and I are presenting a free, regular, bi-weekly video in which we tackle the technical hurdles of sportsman racing, from carburetors to torque converters, from suspension to data acquisition, and much, much more. Get it for free at thisisbracketracing.com slash tech talk. Again, that's all one word. This is bracketracing.com slash T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Hello and welcome, or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss Chris Gerritsen and Cole Castile. I say it's the Sportsman Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed this week. No Jed, I'm flying solo, but we've got a really good, rich, perspective-building conversation on tap for you today. We did this a few weeks back, and I prefaced it by saying this, that throughout the life of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, we have had the unique opportunity to interview some of the biggest names in our sport, whether it's 
Edmund Richardson, David Rampey, Dan Fletcher, Eric Anders. And those interviews have been incredible. Like you can go back through our archives and, uh, and find each of those. They were great. And it was a while back, Jed and Mark and myself, we had a discussion. We realized that there are some awesome stories throughout sportsman drag racing, and they're not just limited to the names that we all know. So with that in mind, like we are making a conscious effort to uncover some of those incredible stories, to let those people tell those stories. We're talking great racers, which with rich perspective, interesting backgrounds and stories, who may not necessarily be household names. Today's show is the second in that pursuit. So I got the opportunity to sit down with a man, a friend of mine, named Mitchell McKinney. Mitchell is a, uh, is a racer from uh, Newland, North Carolina. Uh, Wilkesboro Dragway is his home track. It's actually not far from Bristol. He makes some, uh, some trips to Bristol. Mitchell, in his early 40s, a uh, family man, married, young daughter. Uh, he's a PE teacher by trade. You'll hear the story of how he was introduced to racing, uh, how he's raced with his father for uh, decades now. What Mitchell races now is a is a 69 Camaro. Uh, he also shares some time in his father's uh, race tech dragster as well. Mitchell's had a ton of success, specifically uh, in recent years. He's back-to-back track champion at his home track at Wilkesboro Dragway in uh, Top ET 2017 and 2018. Uh, he's also ventured out into some of the bigger dollar races, uh, specifically within the last year. I don't know, like, I just, it will, it will be so obvious as you listen to this interview to just hear the, the depth of Mitchell and his character that just exudes when he talks. He talks about the perspective, he's got an unbelievable perspective of the opportunity that he has to uh, to share racing with his father who's now 73 and you just you hear the the drive in him the competitiveness i guess and the drive to just improve and you can just tell that that is a common thread in all portions of his life and i feel like i need to preface this by saying that i know mitchell because mitchell's a member of this is bracket racing elite and that in and of itself it's not a precursor or a determining factor for inclusion on the podcast. It's just a natural starting point for me, given our personal relationship, which has obviously been strengthened significantly through our mutual involvement within the elite community. Like That's how I've gotten to know Mitchell and his story and his character. And I know that it's, it's rich. I know that it's deep. I know that it's worth sharing. And I know that you'll benefit from hearing his story and his perspective. So that's where we're going today. So without further ado, I could ramble on longer, but there's no need. I will present to you, Mitchell McKinney. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Mitchell, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, um, got a lot of uh, different directions we could go, a lot to dissect, but how about if we just start where it started for you? When you go back in time, like what's your earliest racing memory? How did you get uh, introduced to our sport? 
Well, it all started with my dad. He grew up in the 60s era, muscle car era, all that type stuff. And when I was about 13, we owned a 69 Chevelle. And we started going just to spectate to Wilkesboro about every weekend. Saturdays were our nights to hang out together. We would drive down, uh, eat at a Chinese restaurant every time, and then get to the track, sit in a certain spot. And this probably started when I was about 13 years old. And we did that for probably an entire summer or season. And toward the end of the season, dad looked over at me and he said, what do you think the Chevelle would run? And once he said that, we joke all the time that that was our downfall right there because next season we loaded up the trailer with the Chevelle, didn't know anything about racing really. Dad had kind of raced a little bit back when he was younger, but it, you know, nothing like it is today. And so we took off to Wilkesboro and started running the Chevelle and went from there. So you and your dad jumped into this together, both pretty green. Oh, yeah, yeah. We we just had to just watch. We didn't even know, you know, what a pre-stage was or stage. We just kind of learned learned on the go. I mean, of course, I didn't do anything. I was just watching dad. So he was the guinea pig. Um, eventually, I got to where I could run the, the tow vehicle. That was the thing because there wasn't junior dragsters. So I think we had like a 87 Ford F-150 and – I hot lapped that thing like no other. <laughs> so you get introduced to the sport. You're there as a spectator. You and your dad get into it. You ultimately be- begin driving yourself. I don't know if there's a set moment necessarily when you look back on it, but was there a time that you just remember like the hook being set, so to speak, a time that you just said, man, and you just knew like I'm going to be involved in this for as lo- the foreseeable future. I never really thought about it. Uh, I was into sports a lot. And, you know, that that was kind of my thing when I was in high school. Continued to race on the weekends or whatever. But I just wanted to stop driving the tow vehicle and kind of move up to the Chevelle and then and just progress in that, that way. You know, when you're 13, 14, 15 years old, just doing a burnout is awesome. You know, that, so it didn't take much to get me hooked. I wanted to be there on Saturday nights with my dad and, and that don't, don't really want to do too much of their dad. You know, they'd rather be hanging out uh, with their, with, with their buddies, but, but that was their thing. So I know that you're a PE teacher by trade. You just mentioned a little bit about your uh, athletic background. Like walk me through that. What did you play in school coming up? And then was there a time when that athlete or the competitor in you kind of transitioned over to, to racing? Oh Yeah. I started in fourth grade playing football and basketball. Uh, I also took karate with dad. Wanted to play baseball, but mom said, you know, three things was enough. So just stayed with the football and basketball. Uh, Played that all the way through high school. Um, But the things I learned from being on a team or being competitive and, you know, the mental toughness I think you learn from being an athlete has definitely carried over into drag racing. In what ways? It's kind of like when you strap on the helmet for to, to get into a football game, same way you're strapping on a helmet to, uh, you know, be in a contest. And you've got to be mentally tough. You've got to uh, be prepared. There's just a kind of a competitiveness that I've learned from that that just keeps me hungry. And it just carries right on through drag racing. I'm a very competitive person. And – I want to be good. I want to win. I, I want to go to the track and win the race. And sometimes that's kind of a downfall because I get very aggravated. But 
Um, also, it pushes me and drives me, and, and I learned that through sports. All right, so you talked a little bit about you know, racing with your father, coming up watching him, jumping into the tow vehicle with the ultimate dream of driving the Chevelle, doing burnouts, racing in that category. When did that transition come for you where you actually got to take the wheel of a quote-unquote race car? Well, Dad bought the Camaro that I drive now, I think in about like 96. So anytime he bought something new, I, he handed down whatever he had been driving. So I jumped in the Chevelle. It was a uh, three-speed, has a 427 in it, ran about 730s, 740s, somewhere in there. And I did a lot of dumb stuff. But Dad was a very patient man, and he uh, helped me and taught me. And it was probably around, I guess, when I was – I think I drove the Chevelle when I was 14. They didn't really care about the license thing back then as long as you could, you know, handle the car and all that. So probably around 14, I switched into the, the Chevelle. A little bit different time because obviously I went through this as well. I've got some interesting stories that I've shared on the podcast before. Obviously, we got deep into this. Again, different time today with Casey Pesnell winning the 50 grander. Did you get any pushback at 14? No, I really didn't. I don't, nobody even questioned if I had my license or, or anything. It, it just wasn't even a big deal. Of course, my dad's a very friendly guy. Everybody liked him. So, you know, it was just one of those things you did back then. And But now he, he made sure, he, he taught me, like, look, these are the things you do. You know, you, you don't do burnouts in the pits and you don't fly through the pits. You know, there's a, a certain etiquette, I guess, or technique to this. And, and you, you know, if you're going to do this, you're going to be mature about it. So that helped a lot. Did you look old for your age at the time or no? I don't think so. I was a pretty scrawny guy for a while. I was actually young for my what grade I was in. I went to college when I was 17, if that kind of tells you. Yeah, so I probably just look like a punk kid, I'm sure. Those of you uh, that know Mitchell now are probably with me and saying it's hard to envision you as a scrawny kid. You're not a scrawny man. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of goes back to my competitiveness in sports. <laughs> When I was in ninth grade, I didn't even get to get on the field. So I decided the summer before my sophomore year that I was going to have to get in the weight room and really lay with it. So it What changed. position did you end up playing? I was fullback and linebacker in football. Yeah, I could see that. You talk a lot about your father and your relationship and like how racing was a big part of it, is a big part of it. Just knowing you like I do, I know that you have – really, really good perspective on valuing the time that you have spent and continue to spend together at on and, and at the racetrack. What's it like racing with your dad for so many years? It's absolutely the best thing we could have ever done. Dad's 73 years old right now. And, you know, a lot of times in the off season, he'll say, son, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be competitive. I don't know if I'll be able to do it. And I know our time's limited, but it's really the best thing we, we could have ever done together. It kept us close. It's basically about all we talk about. Mom wonders all the time what we would even talk about if we weren't talking about racing. It's been really good. I'm very blessed to have my dad. Like I said, he was a very patient man. I, I did a lot of dumb stuff, and he just let me keep doing it. But he led my example. He taught me what to do, how to do it. And I've really, in the last couple of years, wanted to be present in the moment. Because, like I said, I know our time's limited. 
I want to remember racing with dad and look back on it and know that I was there. You know, sometimes it's easy to get aggravated at the track and, and lose really what I guess you're there for. I mean, it's more than just trying to win a race. I think a lot of times I'm not going to get to be with my dad, you know, sometime and I'm going to have to go to the racetrack by myself. So I want to make the absolute most of it while I'm there. That's good stuff. For those of us who struggle and who get lost in the moment, and I know that you're not above that, but what are some, what are some tools that have helped you to keep that perspective? Well, just, just being a member of Elite has kind of taught me that because we talk about it several times, being present in the moment and, uh, you know, whether you're on the track or, or whatever, and I've just tried to carry that over to, to hanging out with Dad. It's very hard to be competitive and not, you know, get focused on yourself. But it's really cool. Like, I grew up and I was watching Dad and I was asking Dad how to do things. And now he kind of looks to me and asks me to help him. You know, how do I figure out this split time? Or can you do this on the car? Or, this broke. What do you think we need to do? Stuff like that just makes it a little different than just trying to win all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, man. The, the place that you're coming from is so genuine and so aligned with who you are and what I know of you. Like, I think most of us, probably myself included, like you don't always – realize what you have until it's gone and I think you do a really good job of realizing what you've got in racing with your father it's it's really cool to hear you talk about it so I just don't want to miss on that and I, I don't want to have any regrets in your racing career and, and your father has he raced continuously since you guys started yeah yeah he's yeah. uh we, we've both been doing it for about 28 years or so <laughs> I know he's had some success too, but you've had tremendous success behind the wheel, a couple of track championships, a few big moments. If you had to select one, like what is your biggest, not necessarily accomplishment, although that would apply, but your biggest like standout moment in a race car, maybe when the pressure was on, all eyes were on you. What comes to your mind when I ask that? I've tried to think of that in the past and it's not really one race or one round. It was the decision I made three or four years ago to be better, to be competitive. And it, it's kind of the process that went along with that. Okay, let's unpack that a little. What catalyzed that decision? What made me... Yeah, what uh, made you want a desire to, to be better? The feeling I had when I went through the finish line at Memphis in the World Finals the very first time I went, I never wanted to feel like that again. I can remember going through, looking up to see if my light was on and it didn't come on. And it was like the bottom dropped out of me. I, I've never really felt like that before. I felt like I disappointed myself, of course. I felt like I disappointed my dad. We, you know, we traveled eight hours and did a lot of planning and a lot of work to get there. My wife was there. Her family was there. When I got back to the trailer, I could just see it in my wife's face. And that point right there made me decide, look, if I'm going to continue to do this, I'm going to be better at it because I don't want to feel like this again. It's funny how moments like that stick with us because from the outside, it's a hell of an accomplishment just to get there. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you qualified for the IHRA uh, World Finals. You're representing your track, your division, and, and you're in the World Championship runoff, which is something to really be proud of. But at the same time, when that wind light doesn't come on, it's, it's difficult to explain until you've been there, right? It's highest of highs or the, 
the idea that, that you're capable of the highest of highs and then the rug just gets pulled out from under you, right? Oh yeah, exactly. But you know, drag racing, I've learned way more from my failures than my successes. Sure. Uh, I, uh, it's like you said, you remember those a lot more than you do the successes. And yeah, I, I was very excited to be there representing Wilkesboro and, you know, I, I didn't even really know that that went on until I'd won the championship and somebody's like, said, are you going to Memphis? Luckily, I was a member of IHRA and all that. But anyway, yeah, it, it is definitely the highest of the high or the lowest of the lows. So you earmarked that moment of, I don't know if failure is the right word, but obviously it didn't end the way that you had hoped. You marked that as the biggest moment in your race car because of what it catalyzed. So what was the, the next step for you? I went home and Googled how to become a better bracket racer. And what popped up, this is bracket racing. So when I went on your website, I put in my email to get a free tutorial. I read the tutorial and, and liked what I was reading. And so then I bought a couple of the bundles. And man, I read those babies. I highlighted things. I took notes. And just from the three or four that I read, I knew that there was a way to get better. If I could understand it and, and learn how to do this, you know, because I, I got beat by Ernie Humes in the world finals, the very first round. And he just laid it on me. Like he, he just put a wheel on me, did exactly what he was wanting to do. Went dead on with one, even though I had him a little bit on the reaction time. And I knew, okay, there's got to be something to this. So when I got home, I think that very next Monday, I was on the internet trying to become a better racer. And we talked about it a little bit in the introduction, like elite is the reason that I know your story and why I knew it would be such a good one to share here on the podcast. But specific to your racing, it's not like you came into elite a beginner. You're, you're fresh off of a track championship, but obviously looking for more. What specific to, to your racing, what value has being a member of elite for what several years now brought? Oh man, there, there's all kinds of value. I learned there was a different way to race that there's actually strategies and game plans that give you a better chance to win the round. I've been racing for 28 years, but I've really just been racing for about three or four years. It was always, you know, dial one under and try to have a good life. That's just how I was brought up. And that's just kind of how it was in the local scene where I was. Um, i taken a class from Scotty Richardson and he had taught, uh, taught us how to drop spot, use a drop spot. And that's really the only thing I knew. But when I joined elite, it gave my racing program kind of like a hope, like that there's something bigger, something more to this. And not only did it provide information and education, but I got in a racing community with people that shared my same values. Like they wanted to be better too. And it was cool to see the same struggles that I faced were exactly the same things that other people were facing. And to be in a community like that really, really, I guess, made me strive to learn as much as I possibly could. And then you come out, I know 2018 was a, another championship season for you. 2019 was were in the mix till late at Wilkesboro. Walk me through a little bit like the last couple of years you know, recent success, maybe struggles on the racetrack, like what's been going on in your world? Well, the funny thing is, is like in 2017, I told you I didn't want to go back to Memphis and, and feel the way I did. I did go back to Memphis in 2018 and I lost the first round again, <laughs> but I didn't feel the way I did because I knew 
knew that I was a better racer. I had a game plan. I had a strategy. I just didn't execute quite like I needed to. But I knew, hey, it's like with a basketball team when you've been practicing how to break the press and your kids don't get it and they don't get it and they don't get it and finally they get it. You know, you kind of see a, a little bit of an improvement or you feel like you're just about ready to turn around the corner. And that's what I, I felt kind of these last couple of years. I'm still working really hard on having the right game plan, having the right strategy and execution. I've got to become a better finish line driver. So that's where I'm at right now. I finished third this year in the points at Wilkesboro. And it's, you know, a thousandth here, a thousandth there. But they're not IHRA anymore. So they're, they're not even in the Memphis mix. But still had several good races, good rounds several good wins and it just keeps driving me to get better no doubt for i guess the better part of your racing career it's been quote-unquote local racer right wilkesboro more often than not some trips to bristol mixed in i know that recently specifically that you recently struck out a little bit some of the bigger events i know you're at the fall fling that was a big big thing for you traveled around a little bit in recent years probably spurred on somewhat by those experiences at memphis Can you tell us a little bit for the weekend warrior, so to speak, what, if any, are the differences between local bracket racing and taking it to that quote unquote bigger stage? Yeah, there's several differences. I think the main difference is the race structure at a local race. You know, I'm used to running about every hour and a half. There's no blind rounds. You get a couple time runs. So that's what I was used to. And I knew coming into the the 500 K that I would have to be prepared and I kept weather and I really tried to figure out, you know, what I was going to do when there was a blind run. Unfortunately, I had a little transmission issue with my Camaro and had to switch to the dragster that my dad owns. I'd only driven it a, a couple times. So that didn't work out exactly how I wanted, but that was a little bit different. But, you know, I learned in Memphis after the first year and went back and looked at the results. A race is a race. Anybody in the lanes can win that race. You might run into a buzzsaw here or there and get three-pack or five-pack put on you. But what I'm trying to do at a local race, double O, make it tight at the finish line, is what I'm trying to do at a big race. So I kind of prepared myself. I didn't really feel anxious or, or pressure in that sense. I felt like I could make a good lap, and I know my car is good. It was a little bit hard because the difference in money as far as entry fee for me because I'd saved up a lot. I'd worked a lot of extra jobs to be able to go. And so that's kind of in the back of your mind all the time. And that's definitely different than just a little, you know, a local race. And that's the, besides going to Memphis, you know, that's the biggest money that I'd I'd ever raced for. Yeah, that's the expense element of it. Do you think that that's something that is that would be easier to compartmentalize with experience? Or do you think that that would always be like a, a constant source of added pressure? I think the more I did it, the, the easier it would get. For me, it's a lot of money. Uh, you know, I'm on a, on a teacher's yeah. salary. If you're double entering and buying back and all that, golly, you, you spend a lot. And, you know, I only had to travel an hour to Bristol, so I didn't really have that expense. But I think it would get a little bit easier, but it, it's still there, man. I mean, you know... Like I said, to me, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no doubt. 
having been through that specific experience and all that goes along with it, you mentioned obviously the financial aspect, the time between runs and the, and the schedule of it, which is, yeah, a complete culture shock to what you're used to on a regular Saturday night. What maybe besides those two elements do you know now, like say if you were coming back to next year's fling that maybe you didn't completely understand or were aware of coming into last year's? I would still really work on trying to be able to dial my car when there is four and five rounds in between or four or five hours in between rounds. I, I would really work on that. Everybody that's there is, is good, is a killer. It's like KB's mentioned several times before, anybody there can win it. But I feel like if the time's right and things are going my way, I can win it too. Even though I am just a little local racer, I've learned a lot. I know a lot. I've got my car where it needs to be. And I feel like if I went back, I would make sure that, you know, I had, you know, if I needed a trans brake solenoid or whatever, I'd have that with me ready to rock. But I think I would, I could do a little bit better because I realized that a race is a race and, you know, anybody there can win it and I could win it too. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I like the way you put that, just kind of demystifying that big scene. You know, I mean, I, I think back to the, the movie Hoosiers where they get to Hinkle Field House and measure the rim. Yep, it's 10 feet, just like it is back in Hickory, you know, and the, the free throw line's 15 feet away. Like, in essence, racing is the same thing. Like, what you do on Saturday night at Wilkesboro, that what wins on Saturday night at Wilkesboro is the same thing that wins Saturday night at the Million or the U S nationals, you know what I mean? It is the same game. There's some mental hurdles in competing at the highest level that are mostly self-induced, I think. Yes. But that it takes, I think a level of experience to really get through and work through. Mitchell, you've got just, I mean, I said it earlier, like I think incredible perspective, something like you've obviously done the work there and, and, and really thought things through in a manner that I don't think a lot of us do. I'm curious, like, it's the age-old struggle that I think we all go through to some extent, but specific to you here, as you said, your school teacher, the growing family, lovely wife and, and, and daughter that I got to meet in Bristol, and obviously when you're at the racetrack, the helmet goes on, you're as competitive about it as anything. How do you find balance in life in general? And I forgot to mention your side gig, right? You're, you're detailing cars on the side, bringing in money there, like, there's a lot pulling you in, in every direction. How do you find that happy balance? Well, I think you can't waste time. I have a schedule that I look at every day. I keep it on my school computer. I know exactly, you know, what I'm going to be doing that day. And I stick to it. When it's time to teach, I teach. When it's time to prepare my race car, I prepare my race car. If it's time to play with my little girl, that's where I'm at. I try to focus as much as I can on whatever I'm doing so that it gets my total attention. And I think by doing so, I'm able to do a lot of things. I also have a very supportive wife. I do a lot of laundry and a lot of vacuuming to try to balance out, hey, I'm going to the racetrack this weekend, help her out. But I think you you if you if you're not somebody that's kind of a go-getter then there's no way to really get everything done and to balance what you need to do and to make it valuable you know you can do a lot of things but if you're not really if you're doing too many things 
and not doing something good, it's not really paying off. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And, and I mean, it sounds like, like for you, it's that daily schedule, like the intentionality that comes into that. It sounds like it gives you a lot of freedom to just say, okay, from three o'clock to four o'clock, like I'm doing this. And just that idea allows you to be all in doing that. Is that, is that a fair summary? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I have to be on a schedule. I'm kind of an OCD type guy, but I'm able to, to know what I need to do, get it done and then move on to the next thing. Good stuff. I think I'm, I'm wired a lot the same way. What racing wise, I think I assume your 2019 season is over as we, uh, as we record this 2020 and possibly beyond, like what is, uh, what's on the horizon for uh, Mitchell McKinney Motorsports? Well, I, I, I'm not really sure that I want to stay with the um, points program at Wilkes. I kind of want to want to do some more of the bigger type stuff. I want to get to where I'm competitive in that field. Every time, like, like I talked about the 500K and how expensive it was, but it was worth it to me because of the lessons I learned and, and the situations I was in, the pressure that I felt or getting to do something different than just the norm. So hopefully I can do some more of that next year. Again, keep racing with my dad. Like I said, he has a dragster. He just won the last race that he was in, so he's still ready to rock and roll. Uh, thankful for that. But we'll continue to race together, try to venture out to you know travel a little bit more, see some different things, hopefully learn some more things, and definitely just keep going with Elite. I want to learn as much as I possibly can. I want to get my car as good as I can get it. And someday I'm going to hold up a big check. That, that's my goal. I want to hold up one of those big checks and I believe I'm going to do it. I believe you will too. I love listening to you talk. Like it's, it's so rich. And I think the word I used before was just aligned. Like you can just tell that your priorities are in line with your intentions. And it's just, it's fun to listen to you talk. I appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day to share with us here on the podcast. I really appreciate your openness and sharing your story. At the same time, I can't let you off the hook too easy. We've got a little way that we close interviews here on the show. We call it rapid fire. If you're up for this, they're not all racing related. Poke a little bit of fun. Just short question, short answer. You good? Yes, sir. I'm ready. All right. Favorite racetrack? Bristol Dragway. All right. And again, like the podcast isn't visual for our listeners out there, but if, if, if this was visual, if we were on video, you would understand why I'm asking the next question. Mitchell, what do you bench? The most I've ever done was 450. Yeah, I got 315 for 15 reps, so I, I was pretty pleased with that. What celebrity annoys you the most? Kanye West. Why? I don't know, man. He's all over the place. <laughs> something all the time. He's here, he's there. Frustrating all the way around. What is the compliment? Uh, sorry. What is the compliment that you most often receive? Wow. Thanks for doing the dishes and the laundry. <laughs> hey, sometimes that one's the most meaningful, right? Oh yeah. By far the most meaningful. <laughs> if Hollywood makes a, uh, an autobiography, it's the Mitchell McKinney story. Who plays you? Let's see. John Cena. I get told a lot that I look like John Cena. Yeah. I was going to say like, uh, it's got to be somebody that's just ripped. I was going to say, like, uh, is it is it Jason? Uh, I'm going to butcher that. Somebody oh, I know that's ripped. You're about, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> all right. All right. We'll let you off the hook. Good stuff, Mitchell. I appreciate you coming on, man. Really enjoyed this discussion. I hope that uh, our listeners take as much from this as I do. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks. I had a good time. Uh, love the podcast. So, man, I, I'm really excited and thankful to get to be a part. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larice Motorsports Insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone, uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through or everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, You've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment, maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that for me personally, I chose Larice Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product, and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larice and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through ThisIsBracketRacing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larice Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular op- application, contact us. Go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services, quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.